Today's anecdotal experience is sponsored by Fitbit. I walked 3,000 steps today, but I'm still pretty fat. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. So anyway, thanks for coming back to the podcast. Do any of you guys know anyone famous? We've had some really good guests, but they're just not famous enough. Thank you for coming back to the Anecdotal Experience podcast. Saw on Instagram today, Dan Sabri wearing his Anecdotal Experience t-shirt. Love that guy. I've seen a bunch of people wearing the shirts. Thank you so much. Keep them washed. Keep them clean. Come get a new one if you ripped a hole in your shirt or something. I got more. Today, we have Kumel Kimball on the podcast. She talks about working at a residential treatment center for teenagers with mental problems and issues. She thought it would be her dream job. She thought she'd love it. She thought she'd be a different person, a different type of person with a different demeanor, a different temperament. But you're always you. You're always going to be you. You're just going to be you in different situations. And that's what the podcast is about. You may think I'm going to get married and then I'm going to be this amazing person. No. You're going to think I'm going to have a kid and I'm going to be an amazing person. No, just going to be you. You with a kid, you with a wife. Let's do this podcast. I identified this place that I wanted to work at. Um, They do different kinds of treatment um, for at-risk teens specifically, so I was like, this is the perfect place to get my feet wet. Managed to get a job there um, with very little experience on my resume. Like, I just was a college graduate with a degree in social work, which is kind of the background they're looking for, but no real experience to speak of. Um, So I I went to this facility to, I tracked down the supervisor to try to get an interview before I got hired. His name was Jim. He was like, this grizzled 30-year veteran of the field. You know, he had, like, gray hair, and he had been around. He was, uh, he didn't have a lot of patience or time for anybody because he was just, you know. Right. You sought him out because you really wanted the job? Yeah. Yeah. So I was, like, you know, figuring out where Jim's office was, and I was going to knock down his door and get this job, which is hilarious because the job paid, like, $12 an hour and was ultimately, you know, not what I dreamed it would be. But I, uh... I was determined. So I get the interview with Jim. Jim is very disinterested during the interview and is like, "Uh uh-huh, sure. And then he just offers me the job. He doesn't care. He's probably seen, you know, a thousand kids like me come through in the many years he'd been doing this. But I managed to get the job. So I started in um, October. What was your, okay, so you really thought, were you stoked to help? Were you really thinking... (laughs) Um, this is going to be cool. I'm going to help people. I'm going to feel good about me because I'm helping others. Or did you just kind of, maybe it's a weird question, or did you just kind of want to have a job in social work? Were you really pumped about the impact you were going to have on other people? I mean, honestly, that's what I was telling myself at the time. I wonder now if it was some sort of like, um, it was like a way of proving that I was better. I was better enough that I could actually help other people. There, that's the you know question I mean? I'm asking. Yeah. That's the, because we do things <laughs> yeah. for a reason, and then mm-hmm. we, we say we're doing it for a different mm-hmm. reason. I, at the time, consciously, the whole concept I had about it was that, you know, I was rah-rah about, like, doing good for others. Like, I really had bought into that yeah. idea. Um, 
But what what was it really? I mean, we'll get there. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right, cool. As long as we get there. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I want to talk about, maybe I should set the scene of what the facility is like. Yeah, maybe go for that it. would be yeah. helpful. So it's this big um, facility with multiple buildings. It's probably on maybe like 100 acres. It's yeah. pretty big. And there's like 15 buildings on the property. Um, and so there's seven buildings that are actually the homes or the houses that the kids live in. Yeah. They're separated by diagnosis and gender mostly. So mm-hmm. there's an all girls house, um, an all boys house, an all boys alcohol and drug treatment house specifically. So they yeah. keep the kids with the mental health issues separate from the alcohol and drug because they kind of have different needs. And then there's a um, girls alcohol and drug house there's a mixed unit that has little younger kids on it and then um there was a um house for juvenile sex offenders as well um do they keep those kids together they were all male they could only accept male um but yes they kept them on one unit together okay they all have separate bedrooms obviously but there's shared spaces um and there's kind of a dynamic. We would call the shared spaces in a house like the floor. Um, and there was always a lot of chaos going on with you get together a group of, you know, eight to ten kids with severe like issues with aggression, mental health issues or really oh, problematic yeah. behaviors. And it's just like, you know, kindling. Yeah, there was um, a similar. I mean, I I've had experience with similar type of camp. Mm-hmm. Um one of my friends like worked at one, but mm-hmm. it was they'd bring him to the YMCA where I worked and things, and always, just always, just tumultuous and yeah, just yeah, because all those kids they they put them together mm-hmm. and they all just have so many issues to work through and they yeah. yeah yeah so they feed off each other for sure right um so actually that kind of leads into the first step yeah. after I was hired was training. And there was just kind of general HR orientation stuff. It was a few days of training. But there was also a day where a clinician came in and he had been around quite a while. And he um, kind of schooled us on what the dynamics in a house might be like with all those kids together and how to manage that. And he used the metaphor of Star Wars. So he talked about um, how on a given unit in a group of kids, there would be um, a Darth Vader who's actually perpetrating all the like crazy and causing chaos. But behind the Darth Vader, there would be an emperor who was like making it happen, you know, was pulling the strings behind this. Like, really? Yeah. That's like really detailed. It kind of was deep. I mean, I, it was seemed he, I think he tried to make it more engaging so we'd actually remember this, yeah. but it was just a way of looking at the dynamics that were going on and trying to like intervene. Cause sometimes you'd see a kid who was causing a lot of like ruckus and noise and destruction but like it was really because he was influenced by you know a kid who was trying to Lord manipulate Sith. the situation yeah yeah did basically. you find that to be true actually yeah I really? mean, it was a it was a good frame um i don't know if he was able to like i don't know who yoda was or like any of the other characters yeah, yeah, but yeah. that was the part i retained yeah, just like the dark side and that's how it okay <laughs> that's interesting though yeah so there's one just like mastermind I mean, not always, but, you know, sometimes, yeah. So um, I went through training. Training also involved um, getting taught how to do physical restraints. So there are techniques for, like, holding someone if they are flipping out or hurt about to hurt someone where you, like, 
um, work with another staff member back to back and hold the person's arms behind their back until they like calm down. And they had moved to this from they actually used to do face down restraints where you'd like kind of what you'd see on cops or something where like you've got your knee in someone's back. Yeah. But that was causing I mean, that's like a lot more introduction of the possibility of injury. So they did had you moved. do that stuff on? Um, I managed to get out of that job without ever having to put hands on anyone, which oh, I was very afraid of. So they taught me that. Did you have to work with the boys? Yeah. Okay. But there was always multiple staff member on the, members on the, you know, in the mix at a given time because there'd be 10 kids. So there'd be at least like two to four staff. So I had somehow weaseled out of ever having to like actually do a physical restraint. Was there like dudes around like dude? Yeah. Facilitators. The boy, the boy's house had like most of the guys who worked there regularly were like big dudes. So they could manage it. Cause yeah, I mean a 17 year old boy could be like have 150 pounds on me. Oh, they're huge. Some of them. Yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't super comfortable with it, but honestly it wasn't even about that. It was in general, the whole concept of it, like gave me heebie-jeebies so i avoided it what concept of like having to restrain someone like that i mean it just it just seems really intense and i'm afraid of conflict i should probably get that out there now um so i went ahead and got a job at a residential treatment facility when i avoid conflict as much as possible that's probably the most conflict-filled environment yeah. <laughs> in the world well i think people <laughs> a lot of those kids maybe i'm wrong but i think a lot of those kids really just they want conflict for the Mm -hmm. sake of attention yeah and someone to pay attention to them or Mm -hmm. something to even happen yeah definitely i think almost everybody in there comes from a chaotic abusive neglectful home environment some combination thereof so chaos feels normal right um and I was like an only child, so I had a very calm upbringing. I didn't have siblings running around. Like my mom was, you know, peaceful and quiet. So right. like I just didn't grow up around chaos. Normal was just go home and it like, was calm to a quiet house. Pretty much, and I spent a lot of time alone. You know, I mean, when you're an only child. So I noticed that working there, like it seemed like some of the staff members who who really thrived in that environment and had been there for a long time were comfortable and okay with chaos happening. You know, it wasn't, that wasn't stressful to them. It was okay. And I wonder if it's like, you know, you just adjust to what you are around. I don't know. I never adjusted. Well, I think, I think too, a lot of times, and this, this could be with the kids too, people, chaos is comfortable. Yeah. Chaos is home. This Mm -hmm. is what they, this is where they come from. And this is what they're most comfortable in. Am I, I'm, yeah. This is a question for you. Do you feel that way where they think if things are too peaceful, it's mm-hmm. they'll create the chaos Yeah, because that's that's what home is. I think that's a lot of times with like self-sabotagers. Mm-hmm. This is, they're comfortable in their own misery. That's like, that nails it to be honest because it, it was like if you went on a unit at any given point and everyone was calmly, you know, reading or just hanging out and it was normal you felt like you always knew that at any given moment a flip could switch a switch could flip and it would really erupt they were just ready i mean i think so there was it, it was like sometimes it'd be a very seemingly small thing that would trigger someone you know and then like everything would kind of erupt so it did feel like there was a tension in every 
in room where it was like if you went in and things were calm you knew it was only a matter of time until they weren't and for me that like that was very oppressive like that was very frightening to me I when conflict happened I wanted to just like freeze what do you mean like I'm not a person who snaps into action when conflict's happening I think there's sort of either fight or flight yeah and I'm definitely like flight (laughs) so when something's going on I I just so when things would happen what'd you do um freeze a lot of the time to be honest which is someone else handle it that is a fighter yeah basically and most of the people who were successful and had been there a while were fighters so they would step in and they were more experienced and i kind of had the advantage of being new so it was kind of like i was okay for me to be an observer role right but ultimately pros handle it but the point was that i was getting training that ultimately i would be able to interfere eventually be a pro yeah you be there a year or two then it's like you gotta keep a kid from yeah maybe more like two months right so i mean how long were you there for um two months yeah okay i all right one a thing i wanted to ask like while you're you'll probably get there but while you're there do you feel like you're making or do you think that the fighters the people that get in Mm -hmm. people that solve the problem and um I don't know, kind of break up the fights or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you guys are helping? Do you feel like you're really getting to these children with, you know, serious psychological damage mm-hmm. and getting to them and making them better? Or do you think you're just providing us like, you're just kind of babysitting? Yeah. Do you know? Yeah, I do. I mean, the way it was structured was um, at the top, of any each house had a clinician assigned to it um that worked with each of the kids and then there was like a case manager who kind of did um other helped manage other aspects like figuring out the plan for the kid once they leave the facility figuring out the home situation and things like that so those were the two like true professionals um there was a certain you know amount of training they had to have and background and stuff to be in those roles yeah and then there was the floor staff which is what i was um so floor staff's job is to just take care of the kids i mean hopefully you're maintaining a therapeutic environment in some sense but like yeah you're making sure they eat their meals you're making sure they like brush their teeth and they take a shower and they go to bed and all that stuff so you are interesting providing like the care like a parent would kind of but the thing is that it's never gonna even though a lot of the floor staff were very compassionate in there because they genuinely cared i mean you're not there for the money yeah um they still are never going to replace a parent and that was exactly the problem that most of these kids had was just like the home that they were coming from most a lot of them are foster kids a lot of them like don't have a healthy environment that they came from or that they can return to. So I think that there's a feeling that you're limited in your scope of how you can really impact this person's life. You know, I mean, like you can still be there for them, but I felt like the things that were happening, the things that were eating them up or that were making them act the way they did, started and originated way well before this experience and probably will continue, you know? I mean... It goes way beyond you. Kind of. 
So in a, in a sense, you really, as a floor staff, you really kind of are just a babysitter. I mean. Be cool. Like, yeah. be nice and do your best to be positive and mm-hmm. create good energy for the kid. But d- would you agree that, and maybe this was the role of the higher ups, mm-hmm. those above not floor staff, mm-hmm. was to actually try to repair the psychological damage that had been done by yeah. like, the lack of a parent. Did mm-hmm. you feel that way? Or was it just kind of, was there really a lot of effort to get these kids better and get these kids mentally healthy and create better lives? Hmm. I mean, I think there was effort. <laughs> or, I think I mean, that... or um, effort versus, like, did they put forth effort? Yeah. Which, I mean, I would assume obviously did. Yeah. Do you think? Some, most, but some people were burnt out. Right. Yeah. Um. Please finish your Or was question. it been or this effort that they put forth to like help these kids and make them better? Was it beneficial? Yeah. Or well, was it just kind of band-aiding, like making sure mm-hmm. these kids don't strangle each other? Yeah, or them or hurt themselves. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. Um I will give props to the agency that I worked for because they were trying to institute new ways of offering therapy that I guess, work better because basically when you're okay, when you think of therapy, you think of just like talk therapy, you know, like you sit down and you talk it out. But for a teenager who these kids would be chronologically 15, but developmentally like nine, I mean, the problem solving skills. So their entire development was sort of arrested and it was mostly because of continuous instances of childhood trauma and that kind of I mean, research shows that that stalls the ability of your brain to like, you're missing developmental milestones. Yeah. And so your ability to do things that you should be able to do at that age, like self-regulate, you know, even things like regulating your own body temperature or your um, heart rate, like your body should be able to do that. But when you're three years old and you experience some extreme trauma, like it inhibits your, you meeting those developmental milestones. So they were trying to use newer techniques that are actually sort of like outside in. So there's research about um, using things like, okay, if someone is very stressed, you could put like a weighted blanket on them. And that changing the physical sensation of their body can change their mental state. Something as basic as that. I feel like that would, is that supposed to help? Yeah. Putting like a heavy blanket? Mm Mm-hmm. Like freak me out well maybe but if you it's kind of like it's comparable to like being swaddled when you're a baby like it's a comforting sensation but there's other things too like just using occupational therapy techniques or techniques that yeah like like, science like this is scientifically this is gonna like physically yeah do something to you to Mm -hmm. make you feel safe i mean if you think about like if you're stressed like I don't know if you've experienced this, but if you're really stressed and you sit there and you think about it and you stew on it, it gets worse. But if you go and do something, like you go for a run, then it feels better. You've sort of like, exactly. Um, So they they started trying to do things like put a mini trampoline that the kid could jump on if they were freaked out and stressed. Trying new stuff. Yeah. So they were- Trying to be like, yo, this is not just like talking to a kid or like trying to like calm them down by saying it's going to be okay. Just to do things to be- like, there was a study that showed if a kid jumps on a trampoline, he'll <laughs> calm down for a minute. Yeah. 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 So they were trying new That's awesome. approaches, which yeah. I appreciated. And there was they were working with, like, a researcher who had done a lot of innovative stuff about early childhood trauma. 
and early childhood traumatic experiences and how that kind of shapes who you become. So they were really like working to be um, to introduce new ways of doing things. But I mean, as a floor staff, are you are you doing those things like in a lot of ways? It's you know, it's punitive like a kid. You have to instill consequences for actions like basically grounding and things like that and like then that pisses the kid off and then right. you have a conflict so yeah. negative was, reinforcement i mean yeah. yeah and negative reinforcement doesn't really work but managing does it 10 not kids positive reinforcement works better than negative reinforcement yes is that a thing mm-hmm. okay um i mean negative reinforcement um i don't want to like make stuff up here but i'm pretty sure that not attending to a behavior either no reinforcement or positive is better for getting what you want really the behavior to be well my dad spanked this is just anecdotal experience what's all about it's not like studies but and i'm gonna ask you for me i was negatively reinforced Mm -hmm. as a kid Mm -hmm. all the time i think i turned out pretty good i think mainly like a lot of the decisions i made to not be a shithead Mm -hmm. were because i was going to be negatively reinforced if i was a shithead right so did you feel did you feel like there you saw evidence that positive reinforcement or no discipline at all was more beneficial than negative reinforcement? Um, I don't know. In the context of that place, there was always this tension between floor staff wanting to use kind of traditional negative reinforcement techniques, obviously yeah. not spanking, but things like, you know, you have to comply with these rules yeah. or there's a consequence. Take stuff away. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Take stuff away. And then on the other side, there was always the clinicians being like, you know, we got to focus on why this kid is here and not get caught up in like the details like that that are distracting from the point. Um, and we're not there to like, they're they're not there for us to make their behavior like compliant and perfect. Right. They're there for hopefully treatment that, prepares them to be like Members part of, of society, society and yeah, shit. Yeah. For sure. So which I mean, I don't know. Talking about success in that context is sort of like what does success look like? You know what I mean? Like Yeah, well what it what does it look like to you? I don't know. I mean I mean, I was there so briefly that like I wasn't involved with, you know, the long term follow up with this person. But like yeah, I mean you get kind of in the weeds when you're on the floor. It's like you're focused on the day to day, you know, yeah. and it's is this person going to ultimately be able to like be successful and independent? Some of them were so severe that it was like you're literally taking away a CD because they would break it into shards and cut themselves with it. So they're like at a whole different level. You're not even thinking about their long term success. You're thinking right. about not making them, sure they don't yeah. die right now. You know what I mean? Did you feel like those people were hopeless? No, I mean, I don't. I don't know. I was I was hopeless, but I mean, I think people are always. I guess as a philosophy, I believe people can always change. You know, and so a girl grabbing a CD and just like if she gets anything sharp, she's gonna yeah. cut her wrist. You, I guess in that moment, I mean, obviously that happened. Mm-hmm. So I mean, when I hear that, I'm like, geez, she's got a long way to go to yeah. be out there contributing to yeah the rest of us. You know, totally. And it seemed like a bunch of stuff was conspiring against these kids like that were so much out of their control. Like and what? That, well, like, you know, not knowing. So the kid would be in treatment for like six months, maybe, yeah. or like three to five months, something like that. And 
I don't know, knowing, not never knowing where they're going to go after that. Like, so almost all of these kids, I feel like a vast majority were involved with the foster care system, either presently while they were there or at some point. Right. Um, so, so much of the conversation was around like, you know, trying to figure out where a particular kid is going to go. What's a lot, what's their next step that's going to allow them to move on and not make them regress, you know? Uh-huh. So I don't want to skip ahead, but ultimately I stopped that's working fine. in the residential treatment facility. Yeah. Um, so later I went on to continue working at the same agency in intake. Yeah. Um, so I didn't actually work on the floor, but I like helped with the referral process and I worked with the clinicians to like figure out who we would accept the facility. Yeah. So I did that for like a year um, after working on the floor for a little while. So you think that like the kids not knowing where they were going to mm -hmm. be in the next few months or where like what was next where they were going to go. And the same thing with in foster care. You don't Mm -hmm. know where you're going to be. Yeah. Creates. I mean, I I can understand that. Yeah. You just don't know what uh, what's next. Who you're going to be with. Who's going to be taking care of you. You think that contributed to their own. Sanity. I mean, I think there's a feeling of like helplessness slash hopelessness that comes out of that. Like, I remember this one girl who was I worked with for a while. I worked in this house pretty often. They rotated me around to different houses because they were mm-hmm. trying to train me. But um, I worked in this one with some regularity and she was like 16 um, and she did really well in school. The school was also on site. So she was like really, you know conscientious with her studies and like she was mostly really good like she didn't really cause trouble on the unit but she I remember one day her just absolutely bawling in her room so I mean you're always alerted to like possible danger when you're working so I'm like is she gonna like self-harm or something I need to keep an eye on her so I go in and I try to talk to her and she's just the reason she's bawling is because she doesn't have anybody she doesn't have a family like she doesn't have she doesn't know where she's going to go after this, yeah. you know? And it's like, what are you supposed to say? Like, it's going to be okay. Yeah, what I mean, do you say? I tried saying that, and it doesn't, it's a fucking platitude that means nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she knows that, and I know that. So, like, I just just be with her and Is just that what there. you said? Did you just try and say, yeah. like, it'll be all right? Yeah. I, I mean, what do you, <laughs> yeah. Well, what do they tell you to say? I'm curious. I'm just <laughs> like, what do they tell you to say? Because I've been there, you know, I'll have... A friend who's, you know, family member passed away at an early mm-hmm. age. And then I'll just, I don't know. I don't say anything. Right. Like, I don't know what to say. This sucks. This it is sucks. a bad situation for fair. you. Yeah. Um, But I love you. Yeah. That's all I have. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like they would give you some sort of answer. Like, <laughs> look, these kids, you can't relate to them. Maybe there is no answer. Maybe like, not. There's no answer they can give me because there's no answer. It's a situation that fucking sucks. And that's yeah. Yeah. Just- Thumbs the brakes. I think you can even, <laughs> you know, you just, you know, this girl, yeah. this 16 year old girl, yeah. who's weeping. I think there's some, for me, there's something to physical affection, just someone mm-hmm. touching my shoulder or mm-hmm. something yeah. that is helpful. Right. Makes me feel not alone for yeah. a minute. I mean, all that's all I knew to do was just be there, be there by her side yeah. and just be like, it is going to work out. Yeah. But like, it's hard to keep focus on that when you're 16 and yeah yeah. did you find the job very depressing um yeah i'm depressed now i know sorry about that yeah no this is good this is a depressing (laughs) podcast this is what we do yeah um 
I really struggled, yeah, because I felt like the environment, the tension of the environment, the the way everything's locked down, like the rooms are locked, the doors are locked, um, there's cameras everywhere, you're watching kids to make sure they're not, you're knocking on the door when a kid's in the bathroom too long because they could be in there hurting themselves. Right. I mean, it was an intense environment that was, yeah. it was a tense environment. And you always got to be beware of what kids wear and is he cutting himself? Or yeah. Is he, yeah. Or like, is a fight about to break out? There's yelling and, you know, it's chaotic. And so I remember at the facility, there's um, a long driveway leading up to it, like, um, and then it branches off to the different buildings. But every day, like driving up that long driveway, you know, just feeling the like dread sink down. You I really felt like, didn't want to be there. No, I felt like I was becoming one of those kids, like they're locked in. And I felt like I was locked in too. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and I was working um, second shift. So I was working like 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. Yeah. And so ev- all of my friends were not working those hours. So I'm like trying to make the most of my, what free time I did have like, right. during the day. But it was literally like, I would just lay in bed until like 1 p.m. Like. Dreading work. Yeah, pretty much. Really? Just doing like nothing with my time. And this was the job. This was the job you thought. <laughs> You were like, this is the job I'm meant to have. And I'm... Yeah. <laughs> and at what point were you like, wait a minute, this was the job. I went, I harassed some old man with a gray beard <laughs> for this job. And now I'm driving into work or I'm spending, I'm, it's yeah. one o'clock, I have to work at three. And I'm just thinking about how I don't want to go to work. Yeah. I mean. When did that click? Um, It, it took a little while. I mean, I. I was so committed to this story that I had in my mind, this narrative about what my life would look like that, and I went to school for social work. I was like, I'm supposed to like this. I'm supposed to love this. Like, this is what I studied, right? Yeah. And then I didn't, and I couldn't handle it very well. Were you um, honest with other people saying like, when people mm-hmm. would ask you about your job, were you like, no, I hate it. I'm miserable. I thought it was gonna be fun. <laughs> I know I told you guys I was really excited about this job, but I hate being it. Or were you just like, no, it's great, in total denial of that. <laughs> Maybe you don't know yourself as well as you thought you did. Um, I think that I, you know, I told like my boyfriend or people I was close with. Yeah. But I, I don't know that I, I like my broadcast yeah. how much I hated my life yeah. at that moment. Um, so I was in denial a bit or I just didn't know what the next step would be. And I mentally invested so much in becoming this particular person with this particular path. And then that wasn't what was coming to pass. Actually, one big incident that pushed me to come to the conclusion that I needed to get out of there. So I, um, it was one night I was working on the floor. It was a Friday night and I was working with one other staff member and we um, got permission to take the kids on an outing. It was an all girls house and we were going to take them to um, the movies. And I was kind of excited. We were seeing Minions 2 or Despicable Me 2. And the kids were excited. They got to leave the unit. Mm -hmm. Like, this is good, you know? Um, there was a girl who was newish to the unit. She'd been in treatment for like a couple weeks. Um, and she had a heroin problem. She was 17. Yeah. Um, before we left, her mom met her at the front before we got in the van and gave her like 20 bucks, like to get popcorn and stuff or whatever at the movies. So we get there, we get tickets, we get seated, movie starts. Um, and you know, I'm super green right now. Like I've only worked in this kind of field for like a month. So And this is the only place you've worked in. I mean, I had some other jobs, but the only place in this like 
field that I had worked, you know? Mm-hmm. So I guess I didn't necessarily see the signs. Um, okay. So this girl uh, gets up and is like, I need to go to the bathroom. So I'm like, okay. So I take her to the bathroom and we leave the bathroom and she's looking out the glass doors in the front of the movie theater from the, you know, area by the bathroom. And she's just gazing out there. And I'm like, hey, we need to get back in the theater. And she just looks at me, turns, and just bolts out the door. Just runs away. Um, What'd you do? I had two, I had another kid with me, like, who also needed to go to the bathroom. Yeah. I couldn't leave her. Um, I couldn't. There's nothing I could do. We had a policy of like if a kid runs during like non-public, oh, like you protocol. don't like chase yeah. them. Um, so I went back in the theater and I told the other staff person I was with what happened. Yeah. We watched the rest of the movie and we went back and the girl never came back. You never saw her again? No. No. So she probably just got that money from her mom so she could go buy heroin. Was she like a usually a pretty no. chill girl? No. No. I mean, she was pissed about being in treatment, and she didn't want to be there, so she decided not to be. Whoa! Yeah. And then it's just like, well, that's the that's that. We'll see you later. Yeah, I mean, like you know, I'm, I think that we alerted the police to look out for her. I don't know. I think the clinicians did some things and contacted the family and stuff. Like, it's not that's a really bad scenario. Yeah. Like, you're supposed to. Our job is to keep the kids safe and secured, and we were not successful (laughs) but that wasn't just like it was partially a product of me being super green but it's i don't want it to seem like it was only because i didn't know what i was doing like kids ran away pretty often no one is blaming you for that (laughs) kid running off no what are you gonna do like you know even if you'd been a vet what are you gonna chase the kid leave the other kid the other kid runs off right and you're tired probably didn't catch the other kid (laughs) what so You said that was one moment where you're like, yeah. yo, I, I gotta hate this. Yeah. I'm not trying to catch <laughs> like heroin junkies. That's not what I signed up for. Well, it is what I signed up for, and I thought I could handle it, I guess. I don't know. I don't think I really knew what it meant before. Did you I did see it, yourself you know? as a real like what's the word? Just uh, life changer. A real <laughs> I'm going to Sandra Bullock in Blindside. <laughs> I've never for, seen that. I have I'm assuming either. she's inspirational. I'm assuming the reference stands <laughs> from the other references I've heard that it's... <laughs> I can't believe you just made a reference I or something. I couldn't think of anything seen. else. Uh, let me think okay, of a better we movie. Can move on. Have you seen Short Term 12? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you have. That's what you're talking. I'm like, I'm sure she's seen it. Uh, one of those guys. Because yeah. those, all of them in the in the film... It's basic. Watch the film. It's really good. Yeah, it um, is good. Similar situation as Kamal's talking about. It's, uh, but these people see themselves as like heroes mm-hmm. and that they're doing something mm-hmm. and they kind of relate to these kids. Um, yeah. But that's the way they, so it, it, did you kind of have that sense of like those, the people in this film, which our <laughs> listeners may or may not have seen, but that kind <laughs> of, I'm going to make a difference that's yeah, a difference yeah. maker uh-huh, not difference a life maker. changer but difference maker um before i started working there yes and then once i started working there i realized what an idiot i was yeah so no i lost that illusion i think i mean it's not like i don't want to understate it or overstate it i don't think i was very effective but there were people who worked there who were you know like oh some really of the other so there were staff, people that were cut out i think so. oh yeah i mean there's people who'd worked there for years and 
people who really I felt like got through to the kids and some kids like did experience positive change. So I I don't want to paint a totally gloomy picture of the whole scenario. Some people make that their life's work, you know, and they become skilled, but that wasn't you're coming to the realization that it's like this this is for some but not for i yeah basically i mean i hate feeling like a quitter like for me when i see something in myself that is not a strength i think how can i eradicate that and turn it into a strength you know i have to undo all these weaknesses and like become perfected but yeah at everything yeah oh yeah but like i did start to realize that like maybe building on existing strengths is a better strategy than like trying to fix everything you're weaker at right it's okay to have your niche and like your things that you're good at quit it's important (laughs) to it's important to realize when you're doing something like i'm not good at this at all (laughs) like this there's no natural ability here i quit maybe find something else i do have some natural ability and then perfect that yeah so that's where i'm at now but actually it's interesting that you say this because one day on the floor I'm sitting around a table with um, a couple kids. We're like coloring and a clinician who was brand new. She had been working there. She was actually my age and she had just graduated from college and she had just gotten hired as a clinician. And she and I were talking about our backgrounds and she said, oh my gosh, you have a degree in social work. Like, why are you working on the floor? Like you could be a clinician with this background because a lot of people on the floor had some experience in human services or in some way, but they didn't necessarily have an actual degree in social work. Which you did. Which I did. So yeah. I was kind of like, I guess, quote, overqualified, right. but clearly totally underprepared. Um, yeah. So anyway, she's like, you're not going to last in this position. Like, why would you do that? That's what she said to me. Why did she say that? Because she was like, you're not going to, she said, you're not going to be happy in this position. Because I think when she said it, she meant, um, you know, you're overqualified. But I was like, oh, I literally got up from the table, ran to the bathroom and started crying. I locked myself in the bathroom and I started crying because I was like, she is so right. She said the thing that I had been trying not to hear, which was, you're not going to be happy here. Yeah. And I was like, that is 100% correct. So I'm like. But you even misinterpreted what she said. (laughs) (laughs) You've reinterpreted it as what you wanted to hear. Yeah. (laughs) Or didn't want to hear. You're like, I've been waiting for someone to say this. Oh, and my God, like, it's no, true. You, you, I mean, you'll just, you know, you should be a clinician because you're you're qualified to do this. <laughs> like, no, get me out of here. cry in the bathroom. <laughs> so I'm crying in the bathroom. Yeah. And that was, I'm like, how can I get out of this situation? I have to go. It was like 7 p.m., you know, and I have a whole five more or four more hours of work. Out of, of the me. situation, out of like. That night. I that was night, like, not yeah. your job. I'm like, entirely. I have to get it together right now so I can go back on the floor. Yeah. But the, literally, I managed to. But literally, the next day, I went to gym and I was like, I either reassign me to a different role in this agency or I'm going to find a job elsewhere. Like, yeah. this is not, this isn't really working for me. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I definitely approached it. It ended up working out. It felt like a risk because I had only worked there for a couple months and it wasn't necessarily there policy to like let you change departments when you work somewhere for two months you know right. but i told him you know i have some skills i might be able to be helpful in another aspect of this agency like, yeah and he was okay with it he gave his blessing for me to apply to other open positions and other departments yeah so i did and that's when i started working intake which was better i mean it was an office job um i definitely still i got a lot of um 
I got all the referrals. And so we would get referrals from children's services agencies around the state. What's a referral? Um, that's like the information about a youth who's having issues that might be eligible to be in the inpatient facility um, or the residential treatment facility. Okay. Um, so you're just looking at papers, looking at profiles and deciding. Profiles of the kids. And then okay. I would send the profiles to the clinical staff and the directors of the residential facility and they'd make a decision about whether the kid would be appropriate. Yeah. Does um, that fulfill... I, I, I feel the Kamel that was applying for the job in the first yeah. place when she imagined <laughs> later yeah you doing that you'd have been like no way i want to yeah. be on the floor i want to be you know in changing it. lives yeah would you have thought that um well when i went and approached jim and was like i need to be in a different place than this that's when i had to come to grips with the fact that i probably wasn't gonna be able to achieve my dream of being a wilderness therapy instructor. If being I can't handle kids, yeah. it's just not going to work, you know? Right. So that's when I kind of had to change tack and just reassess. Right. Um, and at that point, I was so desperate to do anything else that I was okay with changing to something more like a paperwork, paper pushing kind of job. Just to get away. I just need to get away. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, I don't think the self that started in that initially started working on the floor two months before you know i was pretty naive i had high hopes what was your vision what did you see the job being like what did you see you doing did you was were the situations you encountered mm -hmm. different from the ones you expected or did was who you were mm -hmm. were you a different person than the person you envisioned mm. you know were you just like whoa i thought i would be yeah. I thought I'd know how to handle this. Yeah. I thought I would be really step up and mm -hmm. I thought I would, you know, this was my gift. Turns out it's not my gift or were you thinking, no, this is just different than what I expected. It's just mm. different situations that I'm encountering. I was disappointed because I think I couldn't be the person that I wanted to be. You was know? that it? Yeah. That's like, tough. Yeah, I there. wanted to be this person who could jump in and be hands on and like handle stuff and be you know thick skinned and like tough and take yeah it and that's what i was thinking you separate, wanted to be. Yeah. you know like i wanted to be able to do all those things and like that's still not who i am this yeah. was like five this was like five years ago no it was three okay i'm exaggerating it's been a little while though yeah and i'm still not that person you know what i mean like i'm a sensitive flower and yeah. that's just who i am and it's okay like yeah. that's not i'm a sweetie i'm a sensitive <laughs> flower i'd like to be a tough guy <laughs> But I'm not. Right. You know? The and world needs flowers. And it do. needs tough guys and whatever, you know, to mm -hmm. each their own. And, like, it's okay. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm soft. And I yeah. learned that. And um, I guess no regrets. At the time, I wasn't happy. But in reflection, it's just been the path. Yeah. So. It's that self uh, self-realization that mm -hmm. you can't. Uh, I think we all try to imagine ourselves in the future. Mm -hmm. You imagine yourself as a like for me, I imagine myself as a father. You know, you imagine yourself as a mother. You imagine yourself as a wife, and you have this you don't vision. Know me. I don't know you. <laughs> no kidding. idea. You are. <laughs> I imagine myself in these situations as oh, that's Dad Joey. When yeah. Dad Joey gets there, uh -huh. he's going to be. You're going to be like this, yeah. right? So when you're thinking, oh. 
like i'm gonna be on the floor mm-hmm. i'm gonna be this way here's mm-hmm. my vision of myself mm-hmm. then you get there and you're like no it's just me it's still it's just me me dealing with all these <laughs> shitty situations and i'm not i'm a softy <laughs> and dude the kids knew i was a softy they yeah. could, the kids were incredible at if you think about it like this if you're you grow up in an environment where it's very, um, you have to protect yourself all the time. Yeah. You become very good at sizing people up, feeling out situations to determine whether or not there's danger or risk to you. Yeah. So the kids were like very savvy. They were very street smart in a way that like I couldn't have anticipated. So they would look at me and see a softy. They would instantly pinpoint, they'd put their yeah. finger on it and they'd be like, look at this freaking doughboy right here you know what i mean like you don't they know how knew. to deal with this and i do and they I'm would from just the jungle they, totally they'd yeah. like turn the screws and just mess with me like right. they really did i mean they like they bullied me because yeah they knew they could and it was a way for them to have um some control and power in a situation where they felt powerless yeah so i wasn't very good at dealing with that like i remember a kid making fun of me walking behind me with three other kids they were literally just walking in step behind me mimicking everything i was doing and making fun of me as we walked and i was like these are just like 14 year old girls these are 14 year old girls i'm repeating that in my brain like this doesn't matter it's fine like i'm an adult i can handle this but secretly on the inside i was like oh yeah they hate me did you have did you really (laughs) i've been there yeah i've been there where (laughs) It's weird and you want, and you feel very strange when like a 13-year-old, 14-year-old is getting under your skin. Yeah. Turning you into a weird person where you're just like fuck you, buddy. And then you're yelling fuck you at like a 14-year-old. And you're you know, it's right. I mean, we're I didn't softies. Do that, but I would have. But yeah, if I could have. The point is, they're there. Mm-hmm. They're under your skin. Mm-hmm. They wanted to get under your skin. They totally were. And they've been, like you said, yeah. they're from the jungle. Yeah. People been getting under their skin. Their normal behavior is to yeah. just piss people off. Yeah. I mean, definitely stirring the pot was like, was the MO. You know what I mean? And like, you have to remind yourself, like, this, this kid is like, been through some trauma has this kid is like sick in a way and yeah. like that should uh excuse it or like make it easier to deal with but like it is still difficult to deal with oh for um, sure because you you're do, lying yeah. if you're say if you're saying that it doesn't you know you try to you tell yourself like yeah. oh it's okay this kid has seen more than i have this mm-hmm. kid has been through some stuff so yeah. it's okay but yeah you're at, at some point you're like well i'm a person too and i right. hate you and i'm a softie yeah so when I started working in the um, that administrative position where I was reading all the like profiles of these kids, yeah. that really shed a lot of light on the situation. Yeah, because when you're, you're working on the floor, yeah. like you don't necessarily know the entire backstory. You know mm-hmm. something has happened that's gotten to them to this point, but you don't necessarily know the intimate details of it. Yeah. Reading all the, you know, profiles of the kids, I mean, that definitely um, you start to be able to see things from a wider lens and pick up patterns i guess about like what these kids have in common and how they've ended up in this place you know do people do that is there a pattern recognizer who almost knows how to you know no i don't know maybe but like there's a certain set of um like life circumstances and experiences that seem to be shared amongst a lot of the kids you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i mean this is depressing 
but most of the kids, like a lot of the girls had been sexually abused. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the kids had other kinds of abuse um, in their background. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's got to be tough because you, I don't have the capacity to do that. I'm a softie. Yeah. I can't. And I'm not patient <laughs> and I don't like people making fun of me. Yeah. I'm, I can't forgive someone. You know, I can't just say, oh, it's okay. He can say this. He can hurt you. He can do this because, yeah. like, I don't know how to deal with that. Yeah. And I've kind of come around to that where I, like, really respect the people that are on the floor, like mm-hmm. you said, and mm-hmm. they're doing it and they know how to handle it and they're really yeah. concerned and they want to make these people, they want to fix them. I know people don't like saying that, but I do, I yeah. think, to a degree, because I think the ultimate goal, like you said, is get them out in society, get them out there with the rest of us um, in humanity and start living. Yeah. And they want to see that. And I respect that a lot. I don't have that empathy also. <laughs> you know, I don't care enough. <laughs> Well, Do you know what it's I mean? Good that you know that. <laughs> yeah, I just I'm my brother's very empathetic. My really? brother takes um he takes kids to he's he goes to church and he takes kids to his church to mm-hmm. youth group. He buys them Chipotle. Really like him and his wife, you know, really look out for these kids. They're, you know, I mean they're from a school with, you know, it's a inner city school mm-hmm. and um yeah, these kids nobody nobody cares. Like nobody cares about these kids and they but the same time they have these attitudes they've grown up in that environment where just no one cares about them yeah so they they've really turned them into very selfish unempathetic people mm-hmm. that you know they don't have good habits so they're not grateful for my brother and even him telling me the stories that he tells me yeah to me it gets me frustrated for my brother their ingratitude but mm-hmm. my brother has that ability to really care yeah. about people and I respect it so much because yeah. it's not in me. I mean, the gratitude thing is weird because, like, you as an outside actor might be doing something that you think is, like, a good act or is going to help somebody. But, like, that person doesn't owe you anything in terms of, like, how they receive it. You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe you feel like they do. Or we have a sense that gratitude is important when someone does something nice for you. But, like... Yeah, that's my yeah. sense of... It's, like, I I like doing things for people, but... You want... I want them appreciation. to... Yeah, I want to recognize for what I do. I get that. I mean, I feel that way yeah. on a personal level. And it's sort of hard to, like, accept that in working with people in like a social services context that you're not always going to get that. Like right now I work at a homeless shelter and like some, a lot of people are grateful. A lot of people are like, you guys are really there for my family when we needed someone. And and we are so, you know, blessed to have you. Like we hear that, but we also have people who are angry at us or, you know, aren't satisfied with what we can offer them. And never express gratitude and like it's easy to look at that person and be like you know why can't you be different but I feel like if you're doing something good with the only with the hope that you'll get recognized or thanked then like it's a little sullied you know yeah do you know what I mean I absolutely know what you mean and I can't I don't know. Cause, I, I'm not like yeah. putting that on trial. I understand. Like if yeah. I give someone a gift, I want them to say thank you. Right. But I think that people are coming from different points in their lives. And like 
I don't know. I just no. You, I know. You can't I totally only know what administer you're services with the hope that like the people will be like, oh, thank you so much. Like, right. Just, uh, you know. But that's it's the not thing. always gonna happen. Yeah. Right. But that's yeah, and that's the <laughs> you focus on the ones that are. <laughs> that's my struggle. Yeah. Is for and I'm I'm very cautious of that. I always say thank you. I say thank you to yeah. everyone who does anything for me. I let them know that hey. I like you. Yeah. I appreciate you. You do good things for me. I want you in my life. You probably had someone coach you on that. Maybe, but I, mean, I expect the probably, same. Yeah. I expect to get a thank you, you know? And yeah. I know, you know, like I said, my brother, he doesn't expect a thank you. Yeah. And for me, if I don't get a thank you, <laughs> if I don't get a, if I don't get a, oh, hey, th- you bought me Chipotle, thank you. Yeah. A genuine, like... You didn't have to do that, but you did. Mm-hmm. If I get that, they're getting Chipotle the next time because that's all I wanted. <laughs> but the people that are like, yeah, they didn't thank me. I'm going to buy them Chipotle again. For me, I'm just like, I cannot relate to you. <laughs> Maybe you got to find the thank you within yourself. Oh. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Fuck that. I'm like, no. <laughs> was, they got double meat and guac on their Chipotle. No thank you. <laughs> You're dead to me. This is why you work in software development and I work in social services. It is. It is a huge degree. It is (laughs) one reason I think I do really work, do what I do. Yeah. It's because it involves very little human interaction. (laughs) People are scary. Yeah, people have expectations of you and Mm -hmm. I have high expectations of people and Mm -hmm. I think, yeah. You're probably disappointed a lot. Yeah, it's not about me, though. <laughs> I know. I'm interviewing yeah. you. Sorry. Yeah. I can't help it. <laughs> um, so what uh, What now are you? What's yeah. the goal? Like, what's the goal now? You're not going to be... <laughs> you're not going to be exactly what you thought you were going to be. No. No, I went on after working on the floor for that brief, horrible period. Um, I went to work in the office for Mm -hmm. a year and I started thinking more deeply about the field I'm in and learning more things and I thought I have a minor in English I've always loved to write since a young age so I thought maybe I can bring in my love of writing into my interest in like social issues so I like tried to get into I was like grant writing that's a thing that mixes those two things like maybe I can be good at that so I took some you know adult ed classes about Mm -hmm. grant writing to try to like worm my way into a job try to get a break and that's what brought me to Cincinnati um last like a year and a half ago I moved here um where are you from Columbus oh nice yeah um but I moved here to take a job at the shelter that I work at doing development, which is nonprofit lingo for develop developing the nonprofit is like right fundraising yeah. basically. So I um, write all our grants and do you like it? I love it. You do. Yeah. You like writing grants. I know it's weird. Huh. And whenever I tell people that, they are confused and they're like, "Good for you. That's great that you like that. You weirdo." So, yeah, yeah, because it's I don't know, it has a bad reputation for some reason. I mean, it's it's a really weird kind of writing like you. You have to write within very strict parameters. There's character limits and word limits that are really, you know, intense. And you have to communicate in a very small, like little space. Um, And I love it because it's that's challenging to me. You know, I have to answer a question like compellingly and tell a story that makes people motivated to give 
and support our work. You're me. (laughs) You didn't want to be me. Really? But you're just like me. Really? Damn it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's too bad. We've realized that we're not heroes. We're just softies. What? And we love doing, like, (laughs) no, I'm the same way, though. Really? Yeah. Just, like, sitting at a computer trying to figure out the right answer to something. Yeah. And that's all I ever wanted to do. (laughs) I'm never going to be a hero. I'm never going (laughs) to... change someone's life no one's no. gonna ever thank me oh my at god a, at a at a like banquet or something <laughs> you might get thanked no no How? no your software changed my life joey no no one's, <laughs> no one's ever said that but yeah that's uh it's interesting so you're yeah. now writing grants and yeah. you're really like you really like <laughs> writing grants how long did that take from you wanting to be the hero, wrestling kids down and <laughs> that saying, makes you a I'm going to change your life. You can't keep doing this. Things are, I'm going to fix you. And then realizing, like, oh, this is hard. And yeah. I just want to write grants. Like and... a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Are you cool now? Are yeah, you I'm happy? Yeah, I'm loving it. I don't, I, I convince myself that at least, like, I've still down the line make a difference by writing grants right like i get funding to support programs that someone else administers to affect people's lives in a positive way so that makes me feel better about it like it's not just writing that's one of the things i love about it is that it's applied writing it's writing for a purpose it's not just i don't know thrown into the ether yeah. Or like writing in writing poems in my journal it's writing that directly impacts someone's life so, I don't know. I have illusions that I'm still making a difference in some way. So we're I'm making all doing. a difference. Yeah, <laughs> illusions. Yeah. Um, making a difference in a way that I'm capable of making it. You know, like totally. I didn't have. I'm a softy, so I didn't have mm-hmm. the grit to be hands on. You know, to be on the floor, to be a clinician, whatever, to guide th- kids through the wilderness. Mm-hmm. But I have some other skills and some other like gifts. So I'm just using those now. Yeah, I think yeah. that's I think that's awesome. I think that's Thanks. awesome that you found it in such a short period of time that you were able to pivot and realize that. Yeah. You know, that you're like, whoa, I I hate my job. <laughs> yeah. It's one thing I was saying before yeah. off mic is we all have that you can't hate your job. You'll kill yourself. Totally. You will. If you wake up in the morning thinking, shit. <laughs> Like I have, I wear them about, I have to, I don't want to get out of bed. And when I get out of bed, I don't want to go where I'm going. Yeah. That's no way to live. No, it's not. Totally. But no, I think you're, I think it's cool that you found something where you feel fulfilled. Yeah. And you're good at it. Yeah. And well, you enjoy it. Hopefully. <laughs> I'm learning. Yeah. I hope you don't suck at it. I don't think I do. We got a twenty thousand dollar grant today, so I'm pretty sure I'm okay. Is that a lot of money? I mean, sounds like that's some money. It's a lot of food. (laughs) It's a lot of I don't know. Someone's got to do something good with that. I feel like that's pretty good for the effort put in. You could buy a person a car, a new car. (laughs) That's not what it's for, but yes. Yeah, but you could. (laughs) But one could. (laughs) You could make someone really happy for a minute. The grant funder would be pissed. Yeah. I mean, you bought a, someone a car? Give us the money back. Yeah, you, you suck. <laughs> You're fired. And you suck at your job. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, do you 
You want to plug anything? <laughs> You're a poet. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, uh, you got any published work? You want to uh, plug? Where can we find you? No, nowhere. In my journal. All right. Can you get inside my brain and... I'm a computer guy, so, so I'll... Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I can... I'll hack it. I'm like Hillary Clinton. <laughs> That's freaky. Yeah. I'm not ready for the singularity. I'm not. I'm a dummy. I couldn't do that if I tried. <laughs> you got nothing online? No, man. I have a self-published book, but it's it's on a bookshelf in my house. Like... I'll put it on the internet. I'll help you. Why would I do that? Who's going to read that? Who gives a shit about poetry? Nobody. Aw. Aw. I do. It's okay. Do you like Go poetry? to, um... <laughs> All right. You should go to Motor... What is it? Writer's Night? Not Writer's oh, Night. Okay. They have a poetry slam there. I forget oh, what really? it's called. But you should go there. Everyone should go. Is it Kumal? <laughs> you laughed at me when I said your name one time. It's Kumel. Kumel. Yeah. Okay. Kamel. Did I say that? You said Kamal a second ago. Yeah, I did. That's rude. Um, I'm terrible. No, it's okay. I was looking at your name. It looks like You're Kamal. white. Thank you for and, clarifying. Yeah, but your name- Do you name... need to like, say that for radio or something? Like... Yeah. Well, your name's <laughs> Kumel. When I saw that, I'm like, that can't be right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to say you should do Motor Pub, Cincinnati, okay. Ohio. People should go out to that if you're into poetry. Um I don't know what it's on a Tuesday night. It's one Tuesday night a week. Okay. But uh check it out. One Tuesday you check night it out. Week. What? Nothing. One of the weeks, one of the Tuesdays. Okay. Go to it. Just go to Motor Pub. <laughs> Even if you don't drink, it's a good bar. <laughs> and there's poetry. Maybe I'll be there. Right on. Alright, well Kumel, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Alright. Later.